Welcome everyone to the Tulsa World Opinion video podcast. I'm Jenny Graham, the editorial's editor, and I'm being joined today by Chloe Kirk, who very nicely wrote an op-ed that will appear this week and weekend about the International Holocaust Remembrance Day. And that is on Friday. And I will just, in and Chloe, backing up a little bit, she is the Director of Holocaust Education and Community Relations. Is that correct? At the, That's Tulsa, correct. At the Tulsa Jewish Federation. And so we'll just start with, you know, the basics, you know, explain a little bit of the origins of this day and, and generally what typically happens as far as remembrances on this day. Sure. So the day, January 27th, um, was selected by the United Nations General Assembly uh, back in 2005 to become the International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Um, that day was selected because that was the anniversary of the liberation of the Auschwitz-Birkenau death camp. Um, and so all countries in the UN at, at least Obviously, if that extends, that's even better. But every country that is a member of the UN is encouraged to recognize this day and observe it. And the hope there is that we will remember the lives that were lost, but also commit to educating to try to prevent these instances of genocide from occurring again in the future. So typically what this looks like each year is um, commemorations, services, um, Holocaust survivors will oftentimes speak or give a presentation. And then it's also a time to really reflect on those education efforts and what that looks like. It seems like now it's getting further and further away from World War II and, and the, the Holocaust. Is it harder to find survivors? I mean, in Tulsa, I think don't we only have about five survivors uh, left or something like that? I mean, is it, um, it seems like that would make this even more important. Yes, exactly. So you're right. Obviously, as time goes on, um, these people will not be with us forever. We are very fortunate in Tulsa that we do have some amazing survivors that still put in so much effort to share their testimonies with us. Eva Unterman is a very famous player in that realm. Um, we have others in our community. We have Mika Epps and Marcel Binstock. Um, and we also have second generation survivors, children of Holocaust survivors that are here in our community. So you're right, as time progresses, this is harder and harder and we will soon lose this ability to hear from these people. So it is all the more important to listen to them now while we can, um, because that way we can be kind of like secondary witnesses to keep that message moving forward. Um, but also then to start leaning on those second generations who can tell us about their parents' experiences now that they're no longer with us and carry that message forward that way as well. I think sometimes those conversations are interesting because as a second generation, they're able to see the trauma. And now as older adults, they can really put in context, maybe things growing up. And I find that so interesting. The, uh, the other thing I would add, you are relatively new to the Tulsa Federation and the as in director of Holocaust Education. Can you give us a little bit about your background and where you come from? 
Yes, so I am a new staff member to the Jewish Federation of Tulsa. I arrived here earlier this month, January of 2023, and my background in Holocaust education began when I was living in London, England, actually. So um, I took classes in college, and I was sponsored by an organization uh, named the Holocaust Educational Trust. And they sponsored me to participate in a program wherein I became what they call an ambassador for Holocaust education. And that involved not only classes, but that involved a lot of teaching work, middle schools, high schools, universities, the community at large as well, um, as well as a trip to Auschwitz-Birkenau in Poland. So I have seen firsthand that was the, the biggest part of that program was they wanted every participant to physically experience a camp for themselves so that they can be an, an eyewitness basically to, to the events as we're able to see them now to say, yes, I have seen these things, I have heard these stories and I can attest that this happened. And that was, that was a fantastic experience. And I'm very grateful that I was sponsored to do that and that I had all of those interactions with students and teachers and the community. I met several survivors of the Holocaust during that time. And, and that's the background that I come from over, over in London. So I've lived in the Tulsa area now for 10 years. And so now I'm really excited to pick up that work again here in this community. Well, welcome to Tulsa, even though you've been here a decade. So. Uh, <laughs> But you know, you you said you have a, a, a background in Holocaust education, and I recently heard a story from a, a Holocaust educator who was giving a tour at the, and I want to say this was be, be slight like in the fall, giving a tour of the Holocaust exhibit at the museum, and she was telling me that it was a seventh grader group of kids on a field trip, and one of the boys was struck and said, "Huh." So the Nazis were real. And she's like, of course the Nazis were real. But, you know, and not being judgmental of, of, of him, he had equated um, Nazis with superhero villains, which they were superhero level villains. But in his mind, it, it all came from pop culture, that this mm -hmm. was a manifestation of Hollywood. And that's where he got, that's where he got his education about Nazis. And she, she was telling me this story to kind of show the importance of the museum and education, which, you know, I'm already in on the importance of all of that. But it made me think of where kids do get information and what the reactions are when they see what is at the Tulsa exhibit. In, in your experience, what do you hear from youth? What are the reactions you're getting from kids that are going through that exhibit right now? I think similar to to what you just said, I think going through the museum really brings that to life. I think for for younger generations, time is so, you know, last week feels like forever ago. So to think about something that happened in the 30s and 40s, although that is incredibly recent history, that is just so so long ago that it, it's really hard to kind of comprehend and society's moved on so much, technology's moved on so much. I think going back in time to that period is, is harder for youth today. And for them to go through the museum and to see these things, I think it really brings it to life and illustrates that. And I think now because 
hatred and atrocities continue to happen. And so to be able to link that together to, to more modern or more current events, I should say, that is really helping younger people understand as well the severity and the reality of what happened in the past. Um, there is definitely a lot as well in, in social media now that I think is, it, it all sounds very abstract, again, until, until students see it. A lot in social media lately and on television, talk shows and comedy shows of Nazis and Jewish people and all of these negative things. And I think it can be kind of confusing as well for youth to really understand when, when these words are thrown around so, so freely and so often by celebrities that they know. And it, it can really be challenging, but I think what we're doing with the museum, that, that really, like that student said, oh, they were real. Yes, like this shows firsthand in front of your eyes what this looked like. Right. And there's been this recent phenomena of equating things like yes. equating some political figure you don't like to Hitler or to an, and it's yes. like, oh, it's a real person. And, and that by equating that, it dilutes what really happened and exactly how you know, we're supposed to learn from history. I, I would even argue, and I should say my editorial comment, adults need to see this too, because so many of, of some of the the things that are said and done come from adults. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those adults are pretty naive and ignorant of that history too. So while we, I know you focus on youth and, and that's important. I would also just, for anyone hearing, if you're an adult, go see it. I mean, it's, you Absolutely. will, you will learn something and think because it's beautiful. The, the exhibit has artwork. I mean, the, the mm -hmm. crystal knot area, it's, it's art and it, yes, and it's powerful. It and it is, and it makes you think. Uh, you now, last year, and this took a long time, but Oklahoma finally, the lawmakers finally uh, passed a requirement that puts Holocaust curriculum into history. And I know that curriculum is still being worked out. Yeah, but it's it, it's it was one of the it was one of the shining good things, shining spots, good things that happened last year. You know when when. You, I think about when you think about the curriculum, I'm I'm curious what what do you think is important to include in something like that? What how do you make that history relevant today? What do kids need to be learning about this event and about what happened? What makes a good curriculum? That's a really good question. So I just want to say that I'm not a curriculum writer, so I, I don't know probably all of the correct words and terms and phrases. Um, but from my experience as someone who has taught this, I think that ways to make it relevant is incredibly important. Um, times are changing when I was in school and I know I'm not that old, but when I was in school, we really didn't have the capability until I was in high school and college to watch movies or to see any visual things. My education was very textbook. Um, I also never had the opportunity to go to a museum, um, but I think ways to make it relevant can be other subjects to teach in. So my education was all in history class, but um, 
what I hear when I work with teachers in this role is they bring it into their art lessons or their English language lessons. And that is that is fantastic to bring it into these other areas. History is very important. We get that historical context, but to be able to bring it into poetry and essays and art really just uh, completes that education, I feel, and, and gives people the ability to see from other perspectives. Um, so relevant ways that kids can engage with um, visual, I think is, is good for a lot of people. I'm a very visual person. So media that we have, we've got some great documentaries available. Um, the museum, of course, to see things in the flesh there. And then also our art contest, um, I think is, is something that, that I love when teachers ask to submit their students' work for the art contest, because the things that come in are so incredible. I'm blown away every single time I see what these kids are able to produce. It's so, you can see the level of thought that, and care and compassion that they have in some of these submissions. And the creativity is, is absolutely amazing. And I, I really love to see that. And I think that's something too that really, really helps engage students and makes a great addition to the curriculum to be able to give them that expression to really kind of think about what they've learned and to translate that into something. Um, and so our art contest is not something that's mandatory on the education side. That's something that the Federation offers every year for schools to participate in. We get a wonderful number of entries and then we display the art at our annual Yom HaShoah, which is Hebrew for Holocaust Remembrance Day. Um, at our annual event there, we like to showcase the art and we have prizes for students and also their teachers who are helping them in this learning process. And that is something that I'm really excited to see continue on into the future. And hopefully with the addition of the um, Holocaust curriculum and that being mandatory, I'm hoping that we'll get a lot more participation as hopefully more schools take an interest in that. When does that typically occur? When does the art contest typically happen? So the art contest, we have a cutoff each year in the springtime. Um, so it's depending on when Yom HaShoah falls, the, the deadline may move a little bit, but March, April time is when we have the cutoff for submissions and then judges will judge the art. And then our annual event is, is close to Yom HaShoah, if not the day of Yom HaShoah as we can get. Um, so this year that will fall on April 20th, our event, and that will be at Temple Israel in Tulsa. And, and I've seen some of that artwork and it is, it's deep. People, I think, always discount what kids take in. And I remember some of that artwork equated it, they were equating it with what they see in bullying, what, what yes. they see in oppression. Some, you know, are taking it very, you know, I see a kid being bullied on the playground and that's where they're, they're sort of seeing, you know, that's where the Holocaust started. You know, it was bullying. Some, some of the kids thought broader and, and took it more in like wars going on. And it was so interesting to see, and, and some go back to, they would focus on a person that they connected with who they knew died in the Holocaust. Yes. So, and you would see artwork of maybe that person in a collage. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to see how they have, how they view it. And 
it's, I've, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, you're young and growing up and what you did didn't have, I'll be upfront. I'm turning 51 this week. And, and I've said, you know, I had no Holocaust education Mm -hmm. there. It was not in history books. I never heard the word Holocaust come out of any history teacher of mine in secondary schools. We didn't learn any of that. And so everything I learned had to come from the library books that I would check out. And eventually uh, Steven Spielberg sort of put, made that in, into pop culture with Schindler's List came out in college and it was, you know, eye-opening. And also, in, and I grew up in a rural town and there's not a Jewish culture there in a mm-hmm. lot of areas in Oklahoma. And so when I see what the Holocaust, what the Holocaust exhibit provides is a place where people can get answers and information. And I find it to be vital for Oklahoma because so yes. many Oklahomans don't know a Jewish person, certainly not Jewish culture or the history. And to understand our world, we have to understand that. And so I really appreciate what you guys do at the museum. And um, and I'm glad that you were able to, to write an op-ed sort of writing about this event, which is big, it's every year. And are there, are there any things at the museum, any activities the Federation has that you just want to mention? We talked about the art contest coming up. Any mm-hmm. other things that you just want to mention about what's happening there? So we have um, lots of events coming up this year, but the next one that we're having will be on February 12th. We have a new exhibit coming to the museum, and that is called Stories of Survival. It's an exhibition that will showcase personal artifacts brought to America by survivors of the Holocaust and also other acts of genocide. Um, I'm very excited for this one to see what what that will entail. And we will actually be having a reception February 12th, the day that this uh, exhibit will start at two in the afternoon. And that will be here at the museum. So we'll have that reception, kick it off. And then that exhibit will be there until August. So there will be some time to take a look at that. And there will also be, so that one's very Holocaust specific. Um, We have another exhibition coming as well called Humans of Israel, and that is a photo journalist um, storytelling of the diversity behind the people that live in Israel. So I'm excited for that one in a different way because I think Israel is so um, politically charged to talk about oftentimes that I think people forget that what the government does is not always a reflection of what people do think, feel how they are. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I think this exhibit that will show real Israelis and what that looks like is going to be very informative and educational for people as well. Those both sound fascinating. I mean, just in in, in different ways. So um, making all of this very relevant. So, you know, again, thank you for coming on here and, talking to me a little bit. Uh, Everyone, uh, read her op-ed. It's going to be online Thursday and in print Sunday. But I just want to give you the last word. Any last thoughts? I really appreciate this opportunity to speak with you today and to write that op-ed. This is something that I'm very passionate about, and I'm very excited that um, other people are interested in hearing about it and reading about it, too. Um, And I'm very excited to see 
all the things that we have coming up this year and all that holds. Well, I would encourage everyone to make a trip to the museum and to just being involved in the art project. And, and it's, a, it's a wonderful resource for the state of Oklahoma, not just Tulsa. So again, thank you. And uh, I will see everyone next week on this podcast. Thanks.